Bibles, everybody say word. We are in Acts chapter 13, the book of Acts. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. It could be equally called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the movement of God in power. Acts chapter 1-8, we all remember that Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going away. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you in what? Holy Spirit will come upon you in what? The Holy Spirit will come upon you in what? Power, dunamai, dynamic power. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyreos from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the outermost parts of the earth. And we've already seen that. Okay, so we've seen the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to the outermost parts of earth uh, through the preaching and proclamation of the early missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. But this morning, before we get to the text, I want to make a point. Because in this life, there are times where we're going to be doing the right thing. And we're going to be doing it the right way. Like we're doing what God has called us to do, and we're doing it in a way that honors Him. And there are people who are going to throw shade on it. They're going to, they're going to contradict it. They're going to, they're going to cause conflict. And there's times where we're going to take that criticism and feel like we're doing something wrong. And I want to tell you that criticism actually is a testimony that you may be doing the exact right thing you're supposed to be doing. In the text, we're going to see the apostles face both compliment and criticism. But they were confident in their message. They knew what they were on earth to do, and they were walking it out. And I hope that challenges us today to realize that we too are chosen, we are called, and we need to know what our calling is so we can walk it out in confidence. So here's a map. Everybody loves maps. Everybody say, I love a map. Even if you don't love maps, just say you love it. That's, it makes me feel better. A little compliment goes a long way. Uh, so in Antioch, we know the gospel started here in Jerusalem. That is where Christ crucified, buried, and raised. The uh, apostles were gathered together, early church. Holy Spirit came upon them in power. Then the gospel goes out. What sent the gospel out of Jerusalem? Do you all remember? Persecution, that is absolutely correct. Good answer. Persecution, we always think that peace is what spreads the gospel. Sometimes it's actually conflict and adversity. It doesn't quiet the flame, it fans the flame of faith. And so the gospel spreads from Jerusalem in like concentric circles to Samaria and Judea and to the outermost parts of earth. And it makes its way to Antioch, a guy by the name of Barn, Barna. Barnabas, yes, that's right. He starts to disciple the church at Antioch, a largely Gentile, this is fascinating, largely Gentile community of faith becomes a massive sending entity. Not only do they send resources down to Jerusalem and generosity, that believers, we are to be generous with resources, they start to send their valuable resources of people capital. They, he they hear the word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks. They lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they send them out to take the gospel to the, to the then-known world. And so Paul and Barnabas and a guy by the name of John Mark and others, they make their way to Seleucia, and they sail across this like intercoastal highway system of the Romans over to the island of Cyprus, where they stop in Salamis, and they make their way to Paphos. Each stop along the way, you will notice that they first go into the synagogue. Okay? And I'm starting to see this. This first missionary journey really was established not only a part, uh, along the Roman trade routes, but also it was a route that would travel from synagogue to synagogue. Why do you think they first started off going to synagogues? What's that? 
first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Okay, so the gospel message is first to Israel. Your Messiah has come. He is the Savior. And then the proclamation of the gospel of salvation, his death, burial, resurrection for the salvation of the people. And so they start taking this message here. A guy by the name of uh, Sirius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, receives Christ. And they sail over to Perga. Who bails the mission at Perga? John Mark. We don't really know why he heads home. Maybe he gets homesick. Some say he's kind of a mama's boy. But I don't know. Maybe it's the persecution he was facing. But that didn't stop the message. So they travel on, Paul, Barnabas, and others, they travel up to Antioch, to the city of Antioch, and there they arrive on a particular Saturday. Okay, it's called the Sabbath. And on this particular Saturday, they end up in the synagogue. In fact, we have a picture of what that synagogue, well, it's not really what that looks like then. This is actually remnants of the synagogue, but this is the actual synagogue that we're reading about in Acts 13. Isn't that cool? Like, you can actually travel there. There's like a tour. This is actually in the outskirts of a Turkish town. There's no placards or anything. You just go out there and walk out there. But here's what a, an, a synagogue would actually look like. So just imagine all those ruins kind of built up. This would be your entrance. And it was set up specifically for teaching. It's kind of like in here. We have an auditorium. We have we, some amplification equipment. They didn't have that. And so they set up the synagogue in a way that a person could stand in the middle and their voice would be amplified. And so they would be sitting along the walls here. You'd have the men down below, and then you'd have the women and children up here. And then there would be a person in the middle who would read from the Torah. They'd read from the law, or they'd read from the prophets. And then they would go, hey, does somebody here have a word of encouragement? Well, it just so happens. <laughs> I just love the just so happens of the Bibles, right? It just so happens on this particular Saturday, starting in chapter 13, verse 15, God gives Paul and Barnabas incredible platform. Okay, and what I mean by platform is they are given the opportunity to share the message that they've been tasked to share, that they are taking with them. And I made the point last week that there are going to be times in your life where God is going to give you platform. He's going to give you platform in a neighbor's life or in a coworker's life, a family member, a neighbor. Somebody is going to ask you, what is the reason for your hope? The question we, we have to answer is, what is our message in that opportunity? What do we say? And we looked at that last week. Paul begins, verse 16, it says, or in verse 15, uh, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Can you imagine? Hey, if you have anything to share, and Paul's like, well, it just so happens. We've traveled hundreds of miles, multiple boat trips, traveled through cities specifically to bring a message. Thank you for asking. And so in verse 16, Paul stands up, and he motions with his hands. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, he's referencing the two types of people in the synagogue that day, Jewish people and Gentile seekers. He says, listen, listen up. And what he does is he first preaches a very Jewish message, as we took apart last week, really painstakingly took it apart to understand the biblical significance of Jesus being the Messiah to Israel. He preaches very clearly from the Old Testament and from then present day events that Jesus truly is the Messiah. And then he transitions to the message that saves. That Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah, 
died upon the cross according to the scriptures, was buried and has raised. He died for our sins. He was buried and he's risen for our justification and our righteousness. In fact, let's look at verse 38. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that, that is the Greek word adelphoi, that is, that is both brothers and sisters. Okay, so he's like, listen up, y'all, like in the, in the synagogue. Let it be known to you, y'all, that through this man, who, what man? Jesus. Through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And by everyone, and by him, everyone who does what? Everyone who works harder? Everyone who attends church services? Everyone who is baptized? Everyone who does good? Everyone who gives money? No, everyone who what? Believes. We are saved, not by what we do. We are saved because of what he has done. And we receive it by faith. We believe. Okay, this is the Greek word pistuo. It means faith. Through faith, we are freed. Jesus is the bondage breaker. And the bondage that Paul is referring to is talking about the law of Moses. Law, the law, the Ten Commandments is a taskmaster. The law isn't bad. The law isn't broken. Who's broken? We are. And so God sent his son, the eternal God, to take on human flesh. He came in our flesh and was punished in our place so that the righteous requirement of the law could be met in him. And that's why Paul says, we are freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law. In fact, through Christ, we are are righteous. That means right before God. Jesus is my righteousness. He is my righteousness. He's the one that has broken the chains of bondage. In him, I am freed. What is, okay, it's church speak, right? We hear those words a lot. What is your response when you come to realize that Jesus is your bondage breaker? And he has broken the chains of sin. And you are forever forgiven. And you are a recipient of eternal life. What's your response? That's pretty cool. What's for lunch? (laughs) Is that your response? No, it's like I'm free. I'm at peace with God. And more importantly, God is at peace with me. He knows my name. And it's written in his Lamb's book of life. And I may face hell on this earth, but man, there's eternity in heaven with him awaiting. What does that do to you? Okay. Just want to make sure those carb cakes hadn't kicked in too much. Those are good pancakes, aren't they? Flapjacks? Flapjacks. Okay, so what's the response in the city? Well, it's pretty huge. Verse 42, it says, as they went out, the people begged. That means they pleaded. They're like, hey, we want to hear this again. In fact, we not only want to hear it, we want to bring five or ten others with us so they can hear it too. They're like, hey, come back next Saturday. We want to hear about this message again. And they believe in their, they place their faith in Christ after the meeting of the, the synagogue that broke up. Many Jews, devout converts to Judaism, that's Gentile converts. They followed Paul and Barnabas. And as they spoke, Paul and Barnabas said, hey guys, continue in the grace of God. 
See, what Paul and Barnabas realize at, is that these Jews and these Gentile converts are being called to follow Christ and have a relationship that's built on faith, not of their works. And this is a group of people that just live for works. And so Paul says, hey, it's by grace. Isn't that a wonderful message, Raphael? It's a message that transformed this man's life right here. You don't mind I point you out. I'm pointing at you. Apparently, you're going to get pointed out in church today. He, that, that's, the, that's the reality that changed this man's life. He grew up thinking he had to earn it. And it was given to him by grace, and it's through faith. And so Paul and Barnabas is like, guys, don't forget grace. And so the next week, so they spend a week in Antioch probably preaching and having meals, and they're probably feeling pretty good. Wow, what a response. Verse 44, it says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. So this is like a banner crowd, a bumper crop. It's like Easter or Christmas combined in the church. The whole city shows up. And so at that moment, they all come together. It says, verse 44, the next Sabbath, Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to do what? I love that. Hear the word of the Lord. I pray that's why we're gathered here today. I pray that we're not gathered to hear my word or some philosophical nonsense. I pray that we are gathered here today to hear the word of God, to hear it taught. I pray we have a hunger and a thirst for God's word. So they come to hear it. And we look at this and we're like, this is really cool. The, the gospel is preached. People believe. Now there's a synagogue fuller than it's ever been. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Why we celebrate that, there was a group of people in Antioch who were not celebrating. In fact, the emotion or the reaction, it's really jealousy. And we're going to come to see that the conflict that is raised, it's not based upon theology. There's no theological reason that they're going to start tearing down the apostles. Their issue is that they're having more success than they are. In fact, it says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, when they saw what? They saw the crowds. They're like, hey, we can't gather a crowd like that. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken and even worse, reviling. So not only attacking the message, but the messengers, all they could see is the crowd gathered. They, they couldn't even realize the blessing that they are all hearing about the Messiah. All they could see is they have a bigger crowd than I've got. Jealousy. It's an intense negative feeling over another's achievement or success. Gosh, that never happens to us, Right? We never look at somebody else's platform and go, I really deserve that. I deserve that promotion. That guy's not nice. I don't like him for no other reason than he has the platform that I want. I think this is probably uh, one of the biggest issues we struggle with in the church. Uh, jealousy and, and really gossip and tearing others down, specifically churches, church leaders. One of our favorite targets in Christianism is this guy by the name of Joel Osteen. You ever heard of that guy? I hear all kinds of crazy stuff said. I've never met him. I've never like shared a cup of coffee with him. I don't know like his thoughts, his dreams. I, I really don't know him at all. And I hear a lot of people who don't know him at all totally trashing him. And I can tell you honestly, out of some of the messages I've heard, I've never heard any, him preach anything heretical. I've never read anything. I've, I've read some of his stuff. I'm like, this is kind of spot on. 
And so as I look at that, I'm going, maybe, just maybe, the reason why people tear down Joel Osteen so much is because he has a platform that they themselves think they should have. And they're like, well, he's just too encouraging and his messages are too fluffy. I'm like, 40,000 people gather every single Sunday, probably because they're desperate for encouragement. Gosh, if we could just be encouraging and be stoked that maybe 40,000 people are hearing the gospel. Anyway, I'm not supporting him. Don't walk out of here and go, Chris Carroll's a big Joel Osteen fan. I heard it on Sunday. I just don't know the guy. So I don't really have any right to talk about him. In fact, I have no right to talk about him at all. Amen? Uh-huh. So they began to trash talk Paul and Barnabas, which I never, ugh, well, I haven't done yet. I mean, the day's still young. I mean, I, I still got opportunity to trash talk somebody, but uh, I just need us to realize anytime we're trash talking somebody, it's probably rooted in either anger or jealousy. But I love it because no matter what they're facing, whether Paul and Barnabas are facing compliments or they're facing criticism, they handle it the same way. They're on message. They know why they're on earth. They hold them both in the same hand. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, Hey, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, just as you said, David, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But he says, Since you thrust it aside, you judge yourselves unworthy. You yourselves testify that you're unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. They don't stop. They hold both compliment and criticism. They're like, look, you don't want to hear it? That's fine. We're going to go share it over here. If you want to hear it and you're really excited, hey, praise God. But they know why they exist. They know why they are on earth. Listen to this, verse 47. How many of you, out of curiosity, if I right now just stop the message and awkwardly pointed you out like Raphael, how many of you would be able to articulate why you are on earth today? Your calling. Why you exist. And some of you teenagers are like, well, I'm just a teenager, man. I mean, I exist right now just to be a teenager. Don't ever believe that lie. There was a guy by the name of John Wesley. He said, give me 100 people. He didn't define an age, but give me 100 people that fear nothing but sin, and we can rock the world. You all are change agents. Students, some of you are like, okay, intensity level, I. But I want you to hear that. You're not just teenagers, you're change agents. Our calling is from who? Who's our calling come from? From God. It's not man-given. I used to think it was man-given. I used to look at men or people to tell me why I was on earth. God is the one who calls us. Look at verse 47. He says, for so the Lord has commanded us. You guys throw shade? That's fine. We're doing what God called us to do. And it's downright biblical. They look at Isaiah 49, verse 6, and they go, this is our life verse. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They're like, we're just doing what we're called to do. We've been chosen. We've been called. We've been commissioned. We can confidently preach the gospel. If you guys don't want to hear it, we're going to take it over here to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are like, woohoo! Bring it! Because they, they had always been outsiders at the synagogue. No matter how hard they worked, no matter how much they put in, no matter how much Torah they memorized, they would always be second class in the synagogue. They'd never be fully Jewish. And then through Christ, through belief, they were in a right relationship with God and an intimate relationship with the Father. It says, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they're like, wait, we matter? Awesome! 
they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many, uh-oh, mm, 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 tough word, as many were appointed to eternal life. We're going to have a deep theological discussion right now. I know that's exciting with all those carbs in your body, but you should put on your thinking caps, okay? We're going to have a very important discussion. It's going to be brief, but it'll be important. That word appointed, it basically means appointed to a position. So it would be like a president appointing certain cabinet members. That word would, would apply. Or a board of a business appointing a CEO or a leader. This is crazy. So in God's economy, we all remember this is God's earth. He created it, correct? You all agree with that? Mm -hmm. That word says he has a right to do with his creation as he sees fit. So what it means is, in God's economy, all who respond to the gospel, that is, all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, have been appointed by God to salvation. Here's the natural question. If God appoints some to eternal life, does that mean God appoints others to not receive eternal life? What's the answer to that one? Some of you are like, well, dude, you're the preacher guy. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been appointed. If you've been appointed, you receive Christ. But we could also look at it totally from the free will perspective. If you have believed in Jesus, you have believed, i.e. you were appointed, you believe. There are those who will believe and there are those who will not believe. And then when we get to heaven, it'll all be sorted out. And it'll all be clear. And we'll come to realize that God is totally sovereign over his created order. Moving on. Did that answer your questions? Enjoy the discussion for the rest of your life. Just do not break fellowship over it. There are people that start, there's all kinds of schisms and fights in the church, aren't there? Discussions that turn to fit. I remember one time a uh, teacher was telling me two students at, at the seminary got in a fist fight arguing over grace. I have a feeling they both were wrong. Don't go to blows over sovereignty versus free will. Most importantly, and this is what we celebrate, verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading. It's uncontainable, by the way. You can try to contain the gospel. You can try to cloister it away behind ivory walls, but God's love's going to break out. That's what I love about this experience we had this past Friday. So I was talking to Messi. You, you may not know Messi. Messi Mike, he's our facilities guy. I was like, hey, Messi. He's like, yes, Chris. I was like, hey, what do you think about getting some signs that say you were loved and let's go stand on George Bush in 66? He's like, I'm in. Didn't even breathe. I'm in. And so Barbara's like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and put this sign together. And then Max, Barbara's husband's like, I want to go. Let's go shine love on people. And so we went and stood on the street corner, and we're shining love. There's no agenda. There's no sales pitch. There was no advertising for Firewheel. This was literally just standing out there saying, we're so convinced that God loves the world. We're going to say you were loved. We, regardless of a person's past or present, we can honestly say that every single man, woman, child on earth is loved. And so somewhere along that morning while we were standing out, that looks, that's not Mike. Hmm. That is a very compressed Mike. That's a Mike-anite. 
That's a little mic. <laughs> I can't even look at it. Okay, so that's a distorted image through our, <laughs> definitely through, sorry, Mike. So there was a gal who takes a picture of Mike and posts it on the Rowlett Facebook page. Since it was posted on Friday, there's been 800 reactions, over 800 reactions. That's people liking or smiley faces or whatever. I don't even know how many comments. It has been viewed like a couple thousand times. I have a feeling that our world's desperate for love. And what I love about this is when someone sees that sign, there's, no, there's nothing else attached. What they have to do is they have to see people that are so convinced that the world is loved that they go searching for where we got that message. Where do you think that leads people when they go searching to find out where we got that message? Who does it lead them to? It leads them to Jesus. Yeah, and it leads, us, leads people to Christ followers. You are loved. It's a wonderful message, and it can't be contained. But nonetheless, there is conflict. Look at verse 50. It says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. So they used their platform. You ever have somebody use their platform to tear you down? It's wonderful, isn't it? So they used their platform in the city to then drive the apostles out, send them out. You know how the, the apostles respond? They just dust them off, man. They just shake it off. Look at this. They shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they just went on. Nothing is going to stop them in taking the message of the gospel to where they're called to take it. And this is kind of a significant prophetic kind of thing. Basically what they're saying, Jesus told his disciples, if they will not receive the message, they will not receive Jesus, they will not receive you, just knock the dust from your feet. It was a statement of judgment. And the leading Jews of that city would have understood what that meant. So they just dust off their sneakers and they travel 90 miles by foot to Iconium. Let me see a picture of the map here. So they travel from Antioch. They're like, dust their sneakers off. And they're like, well, we're going to Iconium. Guess where their first preaching happens? In the synagogue. That's absolutely right. They get to Iconium, probably get there sometime around Saturday, and they go into the synagogue. But the question I have for you, how do you think the church in Antioch responded? Do you think it folded? Do you think the, the movement of the gospel was, was somehow impacted negatively because Paul and Barnabas were taken away? You can't contain it. It's a movement of God. Verse 51 of chapter 13 says, oh, I'm sorry, verse 52. They shook the dust. Uh, verse 52. You guys see it. I don't. The disciples were filled with what? Joy. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's speaking of the disciples at, at Antioch. They're filled. The gospel continues to spread. Even though Paul and Barnabas are on their way to Iconium, they get to Iconium, chapter 14. We've made it to chapter 14. Hoot and holler. Huh. That was a hoot. Uh, verse 1, it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. I love how uh, Luke put, points that out. He's sending this book to a Gentile reader. So he goes, they're in a Jewish synagogue. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They spoke in such a way. That tells me they were bringing their message with clarity and conviction. They spoke in such a way that many believed, both Jews and Greeks. We could also add in there those who were appointed believed. And what I see here is I see a couple of guys 
who are so convinced of their calling that they've been chosen by God, they know their message, and they preach it with boldness. They preach it with conviction. You know, sometimes we get this idea that we're not supposed to be pushy with the gospel. We don't want to be in people's faces. And I get that. Like, there is no room for being a Christian bully. And, and history shows us that time and time again. But sometimes we share the message in such a way that it comes across like we don't even believe it. We're like, uh, yeah, so there's this guy, Jesus. Um, yeah, he came and he, he taught a bunch of things. Yeah, oh, you've heard of him? Yeah. Oh. Um, he, di he died on the cross. You, you ever seen Passion of the Christ? No? Okay. Um, he, bar he was buried, and then he, he rose, and he'll give you a better life, you know? And I, I think what happens when we don't share our message with conviction, if we're not convinced ourselves that people look at us and they go, do you even believe it? If you don't believe it, why do you expect me to? We're sharing the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. We literally believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that man has fallen away from God because of sin, so the Father sent his Son in the flesh to take on our sins, die on our cross. He was buried and he's risen, and through him we have eternal life. He is the only way to the Father, and through him is real life. And we share it sometimes like it's just like an add-on, like a condiment. Want some ketchup? Try a little Jesus. Just, just a dash of Jesus will do you. Family, we need to share our message with conviction that tells people that we ourselves believe it so much so that we're going to share it with you and we love you so much that we're going to share it with you verse two many believe some don't it says but many unbelieving jews stirred up the gentiles and oh listen to this word poisoned their minds that's a gnarly word yeah i said gnarly okay so the word itself it basically means to add poison into someone's mind. And I see jealousy and this poisoning working together. This is how this works. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation and someone goes, hey, do you know that person over there? Uh, no, not, not really. Well, let me tell you all kinds of terrible stuff about them. Oh, okay. Wow, they do sound awful. And then you meet them, that person you've been talking about. What, what do you think of that person at that moment when you first meet them? Nothing good. You know why? Because of poison. Family, anytime we tear down another human being behind their back to another person, you're poisoning that person's mind. You are literally dropping poison into their brain. So they poison, and these, this poison spreads, and it says, verse 3, they remain there for a long time. They kept speaking what? Speaking what? Like limp noodles? No, they're speaking boldly. They know who they are. They know why they are. They're sharing the message of Christ. It says they bore witness to the word of his grace, and they were granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That means the gospel is moving in power, and we often think that it's going to bring great unity, but you know what? It brought division to the city because in verse 4 it says, but, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Poison was spreading, and it spread to the point that they were ready to kill Verse 5, it says, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, verse 6, they learned of it and they fled. 
It says literally they had to flee. And that word flee, it means that they literally had to run for their lives. How did they respond? (laughs) I love this. They go to Lystra and Derby, and they're like doing this preaching circuit and bring up that verse one more time. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Nothing was going to stop them. So the question we always have to ask is, what in the world has stopped us? It's a question I've been asking myself. What has stopped us from sharing this message? All right, some applications uh, for us this morning. First, compliments and criticism. We're going to get both. Uh, And, you know, just from personal experience, I've spent a lot of my life as a people pleaser. And there are times when I feel like really good when I'm getting complimented and I feel really bad when I'm getting criticized. And, and, and I think Paul struggled with that same thing. A lot of driven people struggle with this. I think there's a concept we need to realize. If you are, if we are in Christ, we've been chosen. We've been appointed. <laughs> we, not, we might not be chosen for that pickup basketball game. Okay, people may look at me and go, that guy can't jump but I got a mean hook shot. No, you don't. You may not get chosen for that great next promotion. You may not get chosen to be homecoming king or queen. You might not get chosen for the prom. That person you love might not choose you. But here's what I do know. That if you've been chosen by God, there's no greater appointment on earth. You are limitlessly loved. You are eternally forgiven. You are righteous in his eyes. You're his son or his daughter, and he's pleased with you. You've been called. There are works that God has set aside just for you to do. You have a calling on your life. Your reason for being on earth is not wrapped up in the compliments or criticisms of somebody else. And so I want to tell you right now, hold both with an open hand because you're going to get compliments in this life and you'll probably get a lot more criticism. For whatever reason, we've become a very critical people. I think Facebook has trained us to say that we have, we have a right, we have an inalienable right to voice our criticism about anything we want. We've become a very critical people. And if you haven't been criticized, you will be. So I want to encourage you in this. If you know who you are in Christ, your security is in Jesus, you are his son or daughter, you know what? You can look at it and you can go, I'm already a chosen. (laughs) And I operate under a higher authority. You can say what you have to say, but you compliment me, it's not going to go to my head. I'm not going to get fat head syndrome. You know, people compliment you, you can't even get it through a door because your head is so big. But I'm also, I'm not going to let your criticism infect my heart. I'm going to get my praise, my love from my heavenly Father. Amen? Secondly, jealousy. I cannot help but talk about this briefly. Jealousy and the poisoning of minds. Family, please listen right now. I know, I know you're sitting here and it's been a long morning. You're like, oh, this guy's talking a long time, but please hear this. This is probably the greatest sin we struggle with in the Christian church. Jealousy and the poisoning of each other's minds. Jesus tells us that we'll be held accountable uh, for every careless word that we speak. 
Ouch. I talk a lot. I'm pretty sure there's some careless words in there. We need to be very careful, and I mean extremely careful, the way we talk about churches, pastors, other ministries, or other Christians. Dallas has a thick history of southern charm, sweet tea, and Christian gossip. The oh, bless their heart, which basically means I'm about to dish some dirt. Family, this is my encouragement. First, I encourage us as a people to no longer do this. To no longer poison each other's minds with tearing people down behind their back or even to their face. And that's my encouragement, that we stop that. But I also encourage us, if we face an opportunity and somebody starts talking trash about another believer or starts tearing down another church or another pastor, or someone just throwing shade on somebody else, just graciously, we just need to graciously say, you know what? I'm going to have to remove myself from this. I hope you have a great day. No judgment, no shame on that person. But here's the point. I don't want my brain poisoned. I don't want my heart poisoned. We've got enough garbage going on my brain and heart. I don't need that. Amen? And then finally, my favorite application of the day. Just shake it off. Because hate is going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Taylor Swift ain't the only one who gets this. Verse 51, they dusted off the sneakers. Hey, people are going to criticize you. Shake it off. Don't shut down. You know you were chosen. You have been called. You have a calling on your life. Don't let somebody else's shade or hate stop you from walking in the calling for why you are on earth. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. The fact that you love us is evident. Uh, the world may say there is no real love, but we testify that there is the greatest love that has ever been unleashed on the universe is the love of you, our heavenly creator, our heavenly father, who sent your son. If you are here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your savior, please listen to me. Jesus Christ died for your sins. The Bible testifies that we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's goodness, his glory. But Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he has risen from the dead. And he has not only risen, he has ascended and exalted. And the Bible declares that all who believe in him, all who trust in him, be forgiven and saved and forever receive righteousness, eternal life, the love of God. You're in his hand. Whether you receive him or you don't, you are loved. But I tell you, you don't walk in that love until you receive him. The question is, do you believe? If right now you feel like God is moving on your heart and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior in the quietness of that place, tell him, I believe. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried and I believe you raised. Please save my if that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you've just passed from death to life. Welcome to the family. You are forever a son or daughter of God. And nothing, I mean nothing, can pry you from his grip. Lord, fill us with your love. Fill us with passion and conviction and boldness to share your message every time you give us platform. May we be faithful. You name me, pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. For it is time to stretch. Reach down to your toes. Some of you are like, I haven't touched those in a decade.